0: I'd rather just sit over there and keep going. Good morning. It's been pretty amazing. I just took a picture of everyone right here on accident. I'll post that later, don't worry. Uh, Well, it's great to be here in front of you today. I'm Ben. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm really excited today because... For second service, some of my neighbors from Sand Hill are coming to faith, which is really cool. You can clap for that, yeah. Just don't say anything, and don't be goofy if you see them coming in on your way out. Don't make them weird. Don't weird them out. No, it's a great neighbor's, awesome place. I'm really excited about that, though. Big things happening. Um, we're in Second Corinthians, so if you'd like to turn there, we're going to get started in just a moment. Uh, last week... After the service, I was out in the hub, and I was talking to Hugh and uh Sue. I believe it's Hugh. Is it Hugh? Is Sue's wife Hugh? That doesn't sound right. Sue and, uh, it'll come to me in a moment, but anyway, they they said, Hey, you know, we didn't know that you were in the military. And and now that we think about it, we don't really know anything about you. We know everything about Bill. We know everything about Brent. But you and Gary, we don't know, so do us a favor, start telling us some things about you. So I promised her I would. So Sue, if you're here, this is for you. I'll try to tie it into today's sermon. So something you don't know about me is that early in the mornings when a lot of you are asleep, I teach Chinese students how to speak English. And I have a couple of pictures here. I checked with them and I said, so the staff is in Beijing. And I said, can I show pictures of the kids? And they said, as long as you talk about the company name, you can do anything so that's me and that's four of my students. Uh, Mrs. Franklin does it as well. So does my other, uh, my oldest daughter. But real quick, if you look at this young lady right here, she doesn't want to be here. She does not want to be doing this right now. And then uh, keep moving forward here. We were talking about cats for a moment and this kid had his cat in like a death grip so I could take a picture, right? He was showing me the cat. And then my favorite students on the next picture, this is Bingo and Ella. Bingo's from a very affluent family in China, and everything he says, he ends with baby. So if I say, hey, Bingo, what color is this tree? Tree's green, baby. That's what he says to me. And he'll say, hey, teacher Ben, baby, how are you? So it's just something funny, you know. Most of what I thought I knew about China and Chinese people was completely wrong. Uh, they're odd just like we are. They have quirks just like we do. Uh, the kids are fantastic. The boys love guns and all of their guns look exactly like real guns. They don't have orange guns or green guns. They have real looking guns and they love to shoot teacher Ben while we're, while we're doing stuff and it's, it's fun. So one thing they never ask me, one thing no parent or student has ever asked me is, can I see your credentials? What makes you qualified to teach me? Do you have a letter of recommendation? They never ask that, and that's because before we're hired, we sit before a board of people from China, from this company, and they ask us, do you have a degree? Yes. Do you have teaching experience? Yes. Are you certified in America to teach? Yes. And then we teach classes, and we do demos to demonstrate that we're qualified. They do a background check. So long before we're ever in a classroom, our credentials have been set. We've been vetted. Uh, So... There you go. Now you know something about me that maybe you didn't. Probably more than you ever wanted to know. Okay, baby. <laughs> okay, baby. Let's move on. Let's talk about you. Now, you have credentials to do what you do. You have qualifications and competencies and things like that. Uh anyone in here work on computers? Right? Just raise your hand if you do. Okay. Yep. Uh, you got to have qualifications. You got to be competent or you can't work on a computer. For me, if the computer breaks, time to buy a new one. That's my abilities on a computer. I can do a few things, but I'm just not a computer guy. How about engineers or mechanics? Do we have any of those in here? Yeah. So you guys can take an engine apart. You can put it back together. I can do the first one. I can't put them back together, right? You guys have competencies and abilities, Uh Blaine's here. Blaine is a paramedic. He can do things to save lives. He has to have credentials and letters of recommendation when he's looking for a new job and things like that. So the point is that most of us have some type of credentials to do what we do. Or if you're retired, to do what you did. Okay? And even if you're a teenager, if you're a kid, you're working on those credentials right now. You're looking to finish your high school diploma and then get a college degree or get a uh, something for your tech, for whatever trade you're moving into. So at this point you're thinking, okay, what are we talking about here? Why are we talking about credentials and qualifications and things like that? Well, today's verse, today's passage starts with credentials, with qualifications, more specifically, as odd as it sounds, with a letter of recommendation. Not terribly exciting, is it? Not a terribly exciting time. What is exciting is that once again we find ourselves with Paul and people from his church, false teachers, tools of Satan, and a struggle between these two. That's what's exciting. This is Corinth. If you haven't, if you're not sure where it's at, that's a map of Europe. It's kind of in southeast Greece. So when you think Corinth, think Greeks. Okay. Same letter, same conversation. Same audience, and Paul begins by discussing a letter of recommendation or a self-commendation because the people at Corinth are asking for one, or they're asking about his own uh, self-commendation. And what we're really talking about is Paul's credentials, his qualifications. That's right, his competence. Is he competent to minister? Now, first, I want you all to understand how absurd this really is. And I'm going to do this by analogy. Say, Pastor Brent and I and Gary and anyone else in here who can preach, Jeff Coochie, Blaine Bacon, if any of you are pastors, we're all at a meeting. We get abducted by aliens. We're gone. All of us are gone. Someone calls Pastor Bill and says, hey, can you come preach next week? All right. And a few of you get together and go on Facebook and post on his page, hey, Bill, we heard you're going to be preaching Can you get us a letter of recommendation? And and we want to check your credentials before you come back. Absurd? Utter nonsense. That's what's going on in today's passage. Paul, the great apostle, is commenting on the need for a letter of recommendation or credentials or qualifications or competency. Things have devolved to the point where he has to address this. It's fantastically unbelievable, almost. And that's because the church is saying, look, we understand that you built this church. I mean, you know, we understand that you're fairly well-known. Your name is well-known. We know that you like to tell us that Jesus himself converted you. We're just not sure. We're not sure we trust you. We're not sure we believe in you. We're not sure that you're our guy. Now, remember last week, Pastor Brent told us that Corinth wanted someone what? Bigger. I don't know how you find someone bigger than Paul at this time, but that's what they wanted. And also remember the last verse from last week, chapter 2, verse 17. For we are not like so many, Paul says, peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God. In the sight of God, we speak in Christ. They were sincere. They were commissioned by God. And they speak in Christ, in the sight of God. That's in your sermon notes. Strong words. Very strong words. And now Paul responds to their charge, to their question, to their angst concerning his competency, his ministry credentials, by asking. Chapter 3, verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Do we need to validate our ministry to you, our service to you? Do we need credentials and certificates? People who are dying are being saved by God's grace. Wherever we go, people are learning about the gospel. People are finding life. These things are happening everywhere we go. And this reminds me of a song by the Newsboys. It's called Wherever We Go. If you know that song, you may be chuckling because it's a really it's a ridiculous song. I'm going to read a, 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 few verse, a few parts. Not, I almost said verses. I'm going to read just a little bit of this. Wherever we go, the bees behave. In the treetops, squirrels stop and wave. Bullies make nice. Crooks repent. And the ozone layer shows improvement. It's a curious thing, and it's humbling. Where we're led, all the living dead want to leave their zombie mob. It's a touching scene when they all come clean. God help us. We just love our job. And the chorus is wherever we go, that's where the party's at. Now, this is the newsboys. They're talking about evangelizing, reaching out, living in Christ. Everywhere they go, it's a party. These guys are awesome. They sing it a lot better than the way I just read it to you. You should you should hear the song and watch the video. But it's about evangelizing. This is what Paul's talking about. He's saying, look, he's not bragging, he's he's speaking truth. He's saying, wherever we go, this is what happened. Wherever we go, the dead find life. Wherever we go, the gospel is being preached. Wherever we go, the Great Commission is being presented to the people. It's being carried out. And knowing all of that, you want a letter of recommendation. nonsense and look don't think paul is saying i just don't like letters of recommendation this isn't about letters of recommendation paul had a letter of recommendation from the sanhedrin to go hunt down christians and then paul had a letter of recommendation from the apostles to go hunt down the lost for christ and paul wrote letters of recommendation for all of his people romans and greeks and jews everybody used letters of recommendation back then that's how you found lodging It's how you were safe while you were traveling. It helped out in many ways. So this is not about a letter of recommendation. This is, again, Paul answering specific charges from this church, from these tools of Satan, from these false teachers. Suppose Paul was a weak man. Suppose Paul rolled over. Imagine that for a moment. Imagine Paul telling all of his disciples and his helpers, you know, now that I think about it, if the folks at Corinth don't agree with us, and if they don't like us, and if they don't affirm our teaching and preaching and our ministry, you know what? Maybe we should quit. Maybe we should stop. I think we should just quit because they don't like us, these false teachers. Can you imagine that? Do you think, given everything we know about these folks, that they would affirm Paul's ministry? Would they give him their vote of confidence? No, they wouldn't. They just got, they just got finished sending him a letter accusing him of any number of sins. That's why they're having this conversation. Of course not. They want him to stop. Stop. It's insanity. But who cares, right? I mean, what's the big deal? The big deal is if Paul allowed the corrupt people at Corinth to determine his ministry parameters, Paul's ministry would have stopped at this point in time. His ministry would have been dead. Allow that to sink in while I have some water that Laura just drank. I'm just kidding. There's no lipstick on it. (laughs) What would the world be like today without Paul? Different. I don't know. Different. How different? We don't get to know things like that. Would God have raised up someone else? Probably. He usually does, but we don't know. But can you imagine... I thank God. I'm so thankful that Paul was dogged and he was determined and he was relentless in his pursuit of God's will. He was an attack dog. Leave that up for a minute. He was an attack dog when he was hunting Christians and he was an attack dog later when he was hunting the lost. Amen. Who do we know that's more dogged than Paul? You know, sometimes we have the police come here and train their dogs in this building. Did you guys know that? We'll just show up, and there's a bunch of cop cars in the parking lot, and the first thing you think is, oh, I wonder who got busted, right? Which one isn't going to be in their office today? But there's dogs that will take them upstairs in the movie theater, and they search for drugs. That's what, they're, that's what those dogs are trained to do, not our drugs. None of us do drugs. They'd be in the office area, I think, if they were looking for that. But they bring their own drugs. They stash them, and then these dogs, you know, always they find it. But these aren't the kind of dogs you just walk up to and pet. I mean, they are, they are hardcore. They're they're relentless and unshakable and dogged. We need to understand, and this is why today's sermon is so exciting, that this was a monumental, a monumental point in Paul's ministry. This was a watershed moment, not because of what happened, but because what Paul did not allow to happen. This is so important. Paul did not let rotten people, Mean people, hateful people, godless people, satanic people, false people determine his ministry. And that's the point I want you to take home today. Corrupt men and women do not determine what you do and do not do for God. Amen? They do not. They may pull your funding. They may remove from you their fellowship, they may spread any number of rumors about you. That happened to me in New Jersey. All three of them. That's a nightmare. I probably need to come to celebrate recovery just to recover from that. (laughs) But they do not stop your ministry. They do not have that power. Write that in your sermon notes. But like Pastor Bill says, do not hear, please do not hear what I am not saying. Paul submitted to authority. He submitted to rightful authority. He submitted to godly authority. Paul simply refused to listen to nonsense. Paul did not suffer fools lightly. Paul refuses to give them even the tiniest foothold. He even writes about this in Ephesians. He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil an opportunity. And the word opportunity there is often translated foothold. What's a foothold? Imagine you're running from a bad guy. You see this in all the horror movies that ever come on. You're running from the bad guy. You find a door. You go in the door. You go to shut the door. And the dude sticks his foot in the door. and there's, It's impossible to get his foot out. That's a foothold. He just jams it in the door. All he has to do at that point is wiggle himself the rest of the way in. Pull out the chainsaw. That's it, over, foothold. How do you give the devil a foothold, you ask? Sin, living in sin, giving in to anger and envy, lust, false witness, etc. When you live in sin, you might as well be saying, devil, come right in. I have a place for you right over here. You can just stay there and do your, do your thing, do your stuff, do your job, do your damage. There you go. Foothold. What are the false teachers at Corinth doing? Sinning. Same thing. They're giving into anger and envy and lying and false witness and false testimony. They're sinning. They're causing doubt. Foothold. And Paul's saying, you're not doing this on my watch. It's not going to happen. I love Paul. you got to love this. I love that Paul sets such a refreshing precedent on how to engage people with false motives, liars, manipulators. Write this down. It's in your notes. He engages with truth in love, and he doesn't fold. He doesn't let them manipulate him. And you know, the Bible doesn't say anything about letting us be manipulated by people we come into contact. Amen. Anybody ever have any experience with people who like to manipulate you? A couple of you? He continues in verse two. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. You're born again. You're a new creation. You're growing, thriving. Your lives have been changed. Your lives are new. People see this. They want to know more. And everywhere we go, this is happening. God is using us to reach other people and to transform their lives. So you would rather have a letter of recommendation than each of you written on our hearts. He continues, verse 3, And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us written not with ink but with the spirit of the living God not on tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts Corinth is a vile disgusting place yet because all of you have been transformed and are being sanctified everybody sees it everybody knows you're different everybody knows you're changed. You are a living letter of recommendation from Christ. You're saved only because of him. You're being sanctified only because of him. Did we preach the word? Yes. But it was Christ who did the conversion, not us. It's Christ who's doing the sanctification, not us. So when a when a preacher proclaims the divine word of God accurately, it's Christ working through the preacher. It's never the preacher. It's Christ working through the preacher. In John's gospel, Jesus says, they will hear my voice. The sheep will hear my voice. How can that happen if it's not Jesus up here talking? It's the preacher preaching the word, and it's Christ working through the preacher to put a message in your head. Whoever's hearing it. And Paul's saying, look, Christ used me to preach Christ to you. And the fact that you are now disciples of Christ, you're recommending me. You're the recommendation, whether you want to or not. You are my letter of recommendation. Paul has to be as confounded as we are. But he even has to mention this at this point. But at the same time, do you think Paul knows who this comes from? Paul's savvy. He knows this comes from the devil. This is what the devil wants. Doubt, confusion. Now at this point you might be saying, okay, I get all of that. What's the part about the tablets of stone? What does that mean? Well, when Paul says you're a living letter of recommendation, that's the people themselves. And it was not written on tablets of stone, but on tablets of heart. Paul's refuting the teaching at that time of false teachers who said, before you become a Christian, before you become a follower of Christ, you have to be a what? Jew. You have to follow Jewish traditions. You have to be circumcised. You have to follow all the laws. After that, then you can become a Christian. These are called Judaizers, if you've never heard of that before. You can be a Christian only after you're following the Jewish principles, the Jewish law. That's why he's mentioning the tablets of stone. Paul's saying two things to them. First, I know what you're doing, and it's not true. It's not going to work. And second, being under the new covenant does not excuse you from the old covenant. It frees you and allows you to follow the law because it's written on your heart and because you have an indwelling Holy Spirit living within you, not just tablets of stone. If that sounds familiar, it's prophesied throughout the Old Testament. It's in Deuteronomy. It's in Jeremiah. It's in Ezekiel. It's in Isaiah. In Ezekiel we read, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people, and I will be their God. And in Jeremiah, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Those are just a couple of examples of the Old Testament informing the New Testament, the Old Testament pointing to the New Testament, pointing really to Christ, the gospel. What does that mean if you're new to this? the very first two people God made broke their relationship with God. And all of the Old Testament points to what happened in the New Testament, which is God sent his son. In the fullness of time, God sent Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, sin-free, to take on all the sins, past, present, future. All of your sins And he died on a cross with those sins. After three days dead, he rose again from the dead. And he overcame death. And he overcame sin. Everybody saw this. And he says, if you turn away from your sins and you repent from your sins and you turn to me and you follow me and become my disciple, you will be saved. That's what all the Old Testament points to. Maybe you need to hear that today. You're not here on a coincidence. It's not a coincidence you're here. That I'm talking about how to be saved and how to how to turn from being from spending your entire. Greg, I love it when you're smiling and nodding back there. Turn from your sins, follow Christ. I don't I'm not just happen to be uh, preaching about that today. That's for you if you're here today by coincidence. So in the end, the only letter of recommendation that Paul needed was the letter which was Christ written on the hearts of the people at Corinth. So knowing all of that, what's the application? What can you take away from that? How can that help me as a follower of Christ? How can I apply that to my life? Those are good questions. There's a lot of ways you can take this. I'll give you two that work for me. The first one, don't expect a parade. Isn't that weird? Last week, Brent talked about a victory parade. Don't expect a parade. Paul did not receive a parade for what he did. Chances are you will not receive a parade for what you did. In fact, we should expect the opposite. Jesus said they hated me, and they will hate you. I counsel a lot of people, and around half of them tell me, most people think I'm in a cult. My, my mom won't even talk to me anymore. My brother can't stand me. My neighbors don't talk to me. None of my friends come around. Don't expect people to appreciate you when you're doing something good. Don't expect people to appreciate you when you're do, doing something good for them. And don't expect people to appreciate when you're doing something good for them because you're doing it for Christ. Don't expect it. But know That we appreciate it. This family in here appreciates it. We appreciate you. And more importantly, Christ appreciates it. God appreciates it. He sees everything you do. But don't expect the world to throw a party for you. Amen? Second thing, the Corinthians wanted someone bigger than Paul. They esteemed people who had fame. Who do you esteem? Who are your heroes? Who do you look up to? Are they living biblically? Are they good examples? Are they doing things the Christian way? I like uh, uh, Daniel Craig, James Bond. That's about as cool as you can get. But he's a rotten human being. And I like Rob Gronkowski. He got us three Super Bowls. But he's not a role model. If my kids did what he did, I'd probably be in jail. And yet, there are people who are living godly lives that I don't even interact with. Careful who you esteem and who your heroes are and who you emulate. And don't expect a parade. I'm going to ask Jeremy to come up. He's going to pray for us in a moment. There's a man named Desmond Doss. I'm going to show you a picture of him. That thing on his neck is called a Medal of Honor. It's the highest honor you can get in the military. As far as I'm concerned, it's the highest honor you can ever receive as a human on earth. Got that from President Truman. He was a World War II veteran, a combat medic. And uh, one day he was on a hill in Japan, and his unit got massacred. I mean, they got hammered. They got wiped out. And everybody who could leave left. Everybody who could run away and retreat did so, except Desmond. And what he did was he ran to the first guy who was on the ground bleeding to death, gave him first aid, put him on his shoulder, carried him to the edge of a cliff, strapped him down on a stretcher, and lowered him down a cliff around 50 feet. Then he pulled him back up. And he said, God, help me save one more. Now, he didn't do this. Two or three or four or five times or eight times or ten or fifteen or twenty times. He didn't do it thirty times or forty times or fifty times, but around seventy five times. It took a long time. I don't know if it's two days or three days. And all that was happening while he was doing that is he was getting blown up with mortars and grenades. And uh, a sniper put a bullet through his arm. And after he had saved those 75 men, as it usually does, help showed up. And they put him on a stretcher, and then they got blown up. And he crawled off the stretcher so they could help someone else and lower him down before, they let, before he let them lower him down. You know who loved that guy? 75 men and their wives back home, and their kids back home, and their families back home, and their future kids, and their future grandkids, and me, and many of you, love that man. But before that day, none of them did. They couldn't stand him. They hated this guy. He was a conscientious objector. He wanted to help people. He didn't want to shoot them. He wasn't tough enough, or strong enough, or manly enough. There's a movie about this. It's called Hacksaw Ridge. It's a a little bit Hollywood eyes, but it's a good, a good film. What if Desmond didn't listen? What if rather, what if Desmond listened to the naysayers? What if he listened to them all and said, you know what? You guys are all right. I should just go home. How many people were affected by this man? Because he didn't listen. How many will be affected if you listen to the naysayers? If you quit. Be like Desmond. Be like Paul. Be dogged. Be determined. Listen to God. Listen to his voice. And all the noise out there, that's all it is noise. Let it go. Listen to God. Do what he's telling you to do. Amen?
1: Heavenly Father, I just thank you for for Pastor Ben and this message today. And I just pray that that all of us would remember that, that we have the credentials that Paul had and help us to step out boldly and use them. To step out in service and and to remember that we are here on earth as messengers for your kingdom and that service is gross service is, is sometimes ugly but help us to remember that that you came down for us when we were gross when we were ugly help us to to stand boldly in in confidence that you will support us to drown out the noise of the naysayers And the lies, sometimes those lies come from family members. Sometimes those lies come from the ones closest to us. But help us to remember that you came down for them as well. And I just pray all these things in Jesus' name.